0: From the university of toronto i'm randy boyagoda and this is what now are we going to start breakdance helloing as yeah, well i think we can okay good yeah. to see you Miriam. welcome you thank you thank you for coming to well, um, faculty of arts and science here on the st george campus come on in
1: dante's inferno it's always a good sign when the first <laughs> thing you walk you see right in and you see dante are the circles
0: <laughs> 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 well you can i mean the beauty of dante to be quite honest is you can find yourself somewhere in hell And somewhere in purgatory. (laughs) The harder one is to find yourself somewhere in paradise, Paradise. of Andrade is a Jamaican-born Canadian ecologist and University of Toronto Scarborough professor, known for her work on the mating habits of black widow spiders. During the pandemic, she hosted The New Normal, a podcast about our steps into the unknown and how we as a community were getting through it. She pursues research, teaching, service, and public engagement in a variety of ways, including as a Canada Research Chair and as President of the Canadian Black Scientist Network. Um, I want to begin by acknowledging that you have a beautiful podcast voice, and so now I'm very self-aware that my voice is not nearly as uh, centering and calming as yours is.
1: Do you agree? (laughs) I I was going to say, I actually don't (laughs) think that's the case. I'm Maydianne Andrade, and this is the new normal it's emphasized the importance of things that make us feel human the new normal podcast name was taken from a term born out of the pandemic but the evolution of the show has been more about revealing us we live on a pretty remarkable street. what
0: experiences or episodes do you remember most vividly from that experience
1: that's a big question. Um, and I, I have to start by saying it was an odd experience because I didn't meet most of the people mm-hmm. I talked to and I'm hoping to meet them now that we're, we're back in person. Um, I'd have to say the two episodes on anti-Black racism certainly um, uh, I will never forget. It has almost been two weeks since the day when George Floyd was killed in the street. It's enough... It has to change. I think as a black person, I didn't realize that my friends and colleagues who weren't black, actually many of them had no real idea hmm. what it was like to live in Canada mm-hmm. um, as a black person. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I felt the same in terms of the anti-Asian racism. I think I, even as a person who reads about equity issues, right. to hear it firsthand from people, it was just, I'll, I won't forget it.
0: So I'm curious, what, if you had to point to these things, what was irreducibly perhaps different about the conversations you had about anti-Black racism and anti-Asian racism? And then what did you see as a kind of shared phenomenon?
1: I think what was different is the nature of those two types of interactions. The truth is, and this is what we talk about with respect to equity, Mm -hmm. uh, different groups have radically different experiences, even if they are all considered in brackets marginalized. So the the discussions I had with people about anti-Asian racism focused around kind of model minority myths and Mm -hmm. how you are kind of brainwashed into thinking in a particular way uh, by social structures, which is very different from speaking to Black folks who say we are being injured and killed by police, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, and that we have, uh, then our narratives are about deficits. Yes. So our narratives are uh, about uh, being a model citizen on mm-hmm. one hand and the, the chains that put on you. Mm-hmm. And, and then the fact that in the context of the pandemic, this racism has just spiked, right? Yes. Um, so the common pieces, I think, were the way in which, it, which it's a challenge to your humanity and mm-hmm. to your confidence and to your ability to move through the world in the Mm -hmm. way that you want. Uh, The different pieces were the ways in which these things actually manifest, how they affect you, how they affect your children.
0: Anti-Asian racism during the pandemic has been called a shadow pandemic. And I think that um, term is um, is very powerful. It's not just that Asians are experiencing the pandemic like everybody else, but on top of that, we are being beaten, being yelled at, being spit at, all of those things are being experienced on top of experiencing the virus. This podcast, The New Normal, the, the title leads me inevitably to ask this question. <laughs> Midian: what feels normal to you right now?
1: <laughs> um, in fact, almost nothing. The last thing I remember doing right before lockdown has to be working out with the rowing team outside of Gold Ring. Studying in Robarts, and I was streaming the basketball game, and suddenly we got a notification saying one of the players had caught COVID.
0: The last normal thing that I remember doing is seamlessly riding public transport without constantly worrying about the fragility of life.
1: I I do feel like things have been shaken to their core uh, in ways that you couldn't anticipate, even if you read as I do science fiction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it sounds very much like what we've experienced. Mm. Um, so I'd say n- almost nothing feels normal right now. Um, and I, I, I don't even know how to expand on that. Uh, and I think that's partly because coming back into what we were used to in the past mm-hmm. after this experience, that's one piece. Yes. I don't know how that's going to feel. Um, the other piece is, and I really hope it's true for everyone, the lens that snapped into place mm. Changes how you see everything. Of course. Right? The rose colored glasses are gone. Yes. Um, and then you add to that what's actually going on in the world right now. Um, and it's very hard to see that anything's going to be normal.
0: So, now, kind of building on that, speaking whether personally or as a member of the university community or as a citizen, what do you think the new, new normal should include?
1: <laughs> um, I mean, it, that's an interesting question. Certainly an awareness of uh, difference mm-hmm. and how difference affects your ability to move through our society in the ways that are, that are fair, that yes. are renewing, that are positive. Um, but awareness really isn't enough. So I guess I, guess I am hoping, and I'm sad, it's sad to say this, I hope people realize we're actually at a tipping point.
0: Okay, now to flip it, what should the new, new normal not include?
1: That's a great sentence. What should the new, new normal not so, include? I'll, I'll give yeah. you a sense of where I'm yeah. coming
0: from with that. The, the Indian novelist and activist Arundhati Roy brought out a collection of essays in the middle of the pandemic called Zidi, uh, a, a word for freedom. Mm-hmm. And at the end of one of those essays, she really kind of caught me as a reader, where she observed that... The general narrative in the kind of first world west is how important it is to get back to the way things used to be and she suggested as someone who's interested in subaltern experience in a place like india we don't want to go back to the way things used to be that would not be a good thing for billions of people in the world so what should the new new normal not include if We both agree it shouldn't just be going back to the way things used to be.
1: Right. Um, It would be nice if, uh, to to sort of um, lead from the point you just made. What was true in the past is not used as justification for what we should do now. Mm -hmm. So you often hear people saying, but before, you know, but it was always this, but you could assume that. Uh, And I would like for that not to be the case. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, this is being extreme, but... uh, I used to have people be in the before times mm. uh, try to justify things based on what is the accepted norm or sure. what is uh, common. And I would say, well, you know, there was a time when slavery was the accepted norm. Mm. And so that, you know, in first principles, invoking something in the past to talk about why I should be doing now is not really going to sway me. Yes. Um, and I think people, though, do get into these conveniences of of thought patterns mm-hmm. um, and and habits. And so... What should not be the case is invoking the past or your own comfort to decide what should be happening now. And I I would really hope that that is a change that people are willing to make. Mm -hmm. I don't know though, like what does it take to actually foundationally change how people think about the world? I don't know. I hope it's this. Mm -hmm. Like if it's not this, what is it? Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know.
0: Um, Okay, let's leave aside pandemic uh, issues to some degree and turn more to some of your own work and interests. I wonder if you could tell us about the Black Scientist Network, its origin story for someone who's interested in science fiction, its (laughs) pandemic life, and then what you plan and hope for it now.
1: So, the the Canadian Black Scientist Network is something I think that's been in the air for -hmm. quite a long time because, uh, as an example, one of the other members of the steering committee, she's a woman professor of biology at McMaster. Mm -hmm. Um, And I've given talks there a few times over the years. And whenever I go, even if it's in a different department, she arranges to come meet me and she said, Do you have any other Black biologists on campus yet? (laughs) And I'll say, No. And she'll say, We don't either. (laughs) Um, And we would sort of you know, um, be amazed at that that fact. Yes. We're both in professors for 20 years, right? Wow. Um, and so it moved from that to sort of email connections. Mm-hmm. And then finally, of course, in the year 2020, uh, with George Floyd's murder and with the sort of, we knew this, these things were happening. We've seen these things happen uh, in the black community, but the the visceral response from others, mm-hmm. seeing other people actually taking up these issues in ways that we'd never seen before and believing us. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a big piece, believing us. Sure. Um, it led to an activation. It led to an activation. That word is a perfect word. So, it activated in us something that had always been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, certainly for me, there was a combination. There was that public piece. Privately, I was starting to see in my, um, you know, black daughter mm-hmm. uh, that the way she was being treated in the classroom in a friendly way was crushing hmm. her confidence in really? science and math crushing it and uh, my husband is actually kind of white
0: benign prejudice that kind of thing what was yeah
1: it? well um She'd always gotten high marks in these classes. She's mm-hmm. going to kill me for saying all this. Gotten always gotten high marks. We started hearing coming out of her mouth, yeah, I get high marks, but I don't really get what I'm doing, and I don't really understand the problem sets. I just memorize things. And I thought, you can't memorize things in math get high right. marks, but leave that aside. And then we heard the same phrases coming out of her school teacher Interesting. in math. Hmm. And uh, it's so from the literature, so clearly what you see in the literature, it just made me realize she has two parents who are professors. Mm-hmm and she's mixed race. Mm-hmm. And we've been to her parent-teacher interviews and we're very engaged. And if this is happening to her, sure, what's happening to all these other kids who identify as black whose parents maybe don't have that connection to the school mm-hmm. or don't know the literature, so can't say, hey, you know, what's going on here? Um, don't even notice the,
0: the phrasing The phrasing. And what it implies.
1: Exactly. So there was that personal piece. Um, and I just decided that activation was, uh, you have one life mm-hmm. and uh, I am tired of seeing children with their aspirations crushed. Anyway, so the network formed online. Mm -hmm. Most of us have never met each other in person even now. And the response has been overwhelming. And I think it's because it's this national level organization. We finally have critical mass for saying, we can show kids that there's a path for them. Mm -hmm. We can show people who are teaching them that there are accomplished black scholars in the sciences despite the deficit narratives.
0: Of course, right. Okay, final question.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is new and exciting in the sex lives of deadly spiders?
1: <laughs> That's the fun part. <laughs> so yeah, my day job. Um, <laughs> the answer is lots. I mean, I, I've been fascinated by black widows since I started working with them as a master's student. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and people don't always know there's 30 species of black widows, and I call them widows because some are black, some are white, some are red, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're all over the world. Um, but The reason I'm so interested in them is that uh, I think that they can tell us things about evolution that Mm -hmm. would contribute to our general understanding of um, sort of processes that underlie things in a lot of other species as well. So basically the way I describe it is um, babies are the currency of evolution. Mm-hmm. So you have your genes have to be represented in the next generation or those traits that are encoded by the genes disappear from mm-hmm. the population. And the interesting thing that we're learning is, and, and in some ways this comes back to equity, the constellation of genes are only part of the story. Yeah. So people tend to think of genes as like a, uh, a recipe for a cake, sure. right? But what is clear is that the environment in which that recipe plays out actually affects the cake. And I'm bringing it back to equity because what we found also by looking at those genes is the constellation of genes in, within what we call a race, mm-hmm. the, you know, is actually so blended and overlapping that race has, does not have a biological or genetic, genetic meaning. Hmm. And so that in itself is an interesting fact to think about why we categorize people in this way, just based on things that we can see.
0: So with what you were describing, even just the way you put it, it reminds me of uh, one of the most uh, presumptuous and arrogant phrases of um, 20th century culture. And I forget who said it, but the phrase is, to be born an Englishman is to have won the lottery of life. I think and I've heard that before. Is it Victorian? Might have been. It might have been late 19th century. You're absolutely yeah, yeah. right. It could have been. But it certainly has had a long afterlife, that phrase, yeah. right? And to think about the tension between a, a kind of a genetic understanding of winning right, and then the kind of national, racialized, cultural understanding of winning right. and the gap between it, those two. And I think in many ways, just to conclude, and what you do in your work, is just show us um, how much conversation needs to happen between those two understandings. Right. And thanks for helping us understand a little more ourselves.
1: Well, I I appreciate the conversation. I'm looking forward to hearing your podcast. You do have an NPR voice.
0: Thank you very (laughs) much. (laughs) What Now is a production of University of Toronto Communications. It's hosted by me, Randy Boyagoda and produced by Lisa Lightborn.